everyone. Thanks for coming back to another episode of QI Radio, Queer Invasion Radio with me, Susie Sheeler. And me, Screamish Joy. <laughs> and today, our guest, we're so, so lucky to have, Miss Linda Blakesley. Hello, Linda. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Uh, Linda, you are and I've told you this before, one of my heroes, you are one of my activist heroes and mentors. Uh, um, and you were, you started the now chapter in, in Fort Worth, Tarrant, Tarrant County, Fort Worth, Fort Worth, Tarrant County, Fort Worth in Arlington. But you also had a, a few other things that you did. You started, um, a sewing circle of some kind. Uh, and I, I would like for you to tell me about that. I know that you also did a whole bunch of other work, um, counseling, uh, that you, I believe you, you started the ACT UP, uh, group. And no, I didn't start. No, I didn't start the ACT UP. I was an early uh, member of ACT UP in Dallas. That was okay. Dallas. You're one of the best storytellers I've ever known. <laughs> You're one of the best. That is the truth. And so I'd really like to hear a couple of stories. And I'd like to start with the sewing circle, if you don't mind. Can you tell us what that was? I can. Um, so we started, um, myself and two other women um, started um, the NOW program, the NOW chapter in Tarrant County in um, the end of 1972, right after Ms. Magazine came out. And, the, and I have the very first issue. Um, and wow. the beginning of 1973. And we started it because the three of us were um, moms, um, single moms in school with um, kids and there was no daycare. And so we decided that we needed to, and I, I had already read about, you know, now, and I was very interested in that. And I come from a small town in Kansas. And so that was all big news stuff for me, although the activism wasn't, uh, I was raised in an activist family. But so we, um, we started the now chapter and, and got on TV several times for creating rallies and marches about daycare for kids. Um, actually had to be bribed by the Dean of Student Affairs to stop that, which was a very interesting story in and of itself. And that um, we had created so much problems for the university with the media, uh, which was something that, I mean, asking for childcare in 1972, you know, was really outrageous. And it was considered to be a woman's problem and not, you know, something that the university should be concerning itself with. But yet, all of us were scrambling all the time, you know, for child years. I had, when I went back to college, I had um, two kids under the age of three. So um, I definitely needed child care. Wow. So we started that and, um, and we got a good group going. Um, actually, I have an FBI file from um, being <laughs> part of the now chapter that opened. I was so flattered. You know? I, I feel lucky to know you. Yeah. So they, <laughs> I, I actually got to see it when they, um, you know, when they um, <clears throat> made it, made everybody release their files and open up their files. And I had a friend that was a DA that called me up one day and said, did you know you had an FBI file? <laughs> no, that's really cool. And he said, Don said, do you want to see it? And I said, well, hell yes. And so, um, you know, I, I was very 
Yeah, I was proud of that. I probably should get a little FBI file. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so that was back. And so the, the group really got to going in 73 and 74. And I was in school and um, and I was not out. I was uh, just separated from my first husband. And, um, and we already started to see that there was a disparity and, you know, inclusion in those groups, not only of people of color, but people, uh, but lesbians, you know, that we didn't know any trans people that we knew of at that time. That was in 72. They were not very out in 72. And so, um, so that's my cats fighting in the background. So, um, so, you know, I, I have been raised as an activist. My granddad was a um, labor organizer. And so disparities and, and injustices are always been apparent to me. Um, and so I had several lesbian friends at that time and I was like, okay, we got to do something about it. And part of the reason I have an FBI file is, and you guys are probably not old enough to remember this, but um, at the same time that we were organizing the NOW chapter, we were working with La Raza Unida, which was a Chicano group. And that's when they used the word Chicano. And they were the first organization of its kind to be politically motivating um, Hispanics. And I met several of the women there and of course wanted to include them um, in our group, but they didn't feel comfortable because the majority of the group were white women and white women of, you know, some privilege for sure. Um, and so, you know, I had this idea that we needed to have another group that wasn't bound by now's rules or, you know, what their mission was, or in, in other words, you know, we needed something that would be more inclusive than what now was at the time. And there was already a lot of friction about in the, in the upper echelons of now about lesbians and yes. what they meant, to, what they meant to the movement, et cetera. And that didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. So I started this group and we called it, uh, <laughs> The Ladies Sewing Circle and Terrace Society. And, and, and so the group got to be such a size that we had to meet in places like apartment, um, what do you call those, the recreation rooms or the meeting rooms or whatever. And so I quickly learned that we just needed to call ourselves the Ladies Sewing Circle, you know, so that somebody <laughs> would <laughs> open a room for us, right? But of course, it grew to be about 50 or 60 women. But in that period of time, um, was really pretty stunning for that period of time. And it actually put me at odds with some of the now people, which I didn't really care about. Um, because we were about half and half lesbian and um, heterosexual. And then we had, we only had two or three black women, but we had a fair number of Hispanic women that felt bold enough to want to come to a group like this. Excellent. And rem remarkably so, um, we were able to conduct that group for, oh my gosh, almost three years without any major drama, which was just amazing. And part of it, you know, I attribute to myself just being, you know, like, we don't have any room for that here. And if, if, if that's what you need, then you need to find another group. And we actually, you know, um, had some topics and we took turns speaking and created a talking circle that, you know, allowed everybody to speak. And we put um, some parameters around feedback that it couldn't be about you, you know, that it had to be about what we were talking about. And 
because white women are the worst for saying, well, what about me? You know, I had to do this and this and this. And so, um, so we, so we cut that out and, um, and we had some really wonderful discussions and people were, women were coming from Dallas, which was about, you know, 40 minutes away. And, um, and we met for a couple of hours and of course, you know, we had to have snacks and everybody brought snacks and, but it was a profound moment for me in the women's movement that, you know, really made me think about, okay, well, what are we doing here, you know, and um, what are we doing to really support women? Because by then I had already led some consciousness raising groups, which was the initial focus of now, which were necessary. They were necessary for, uh-uh, nope. They were necessary for all women. Um, they were necessary for all women for sure, but, um, you know, there definitely was, there definitely was a piece that I felt like we were not reaching in terms of women that really needed to explore some of these issues about whether or not they were going to learn to be assertive. And you have to think in terms of the word assertive in 1972 meant you were a bitch. And so... Right. It, it so, really technically still means that, actually. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does, unfortunately. It's not and as so bad much, as it used to be, but it just hasn't ever gone no, away the way and, it should. And I, you know? and I taught a starting training for a long time, and I've thought about doing it again, um, mm -hmm. you know, because it just irritates the crap out of me. And and I know a lot of women that really still don't want to struggle with it. They just struggle and, so hard, you know. And they struggle and they don't with even know it. how. That's right. And so that's why I've thought yeah. about in my, in my dotage yeah. teaching some more classes. And so, dotage, um, yeah, so, um, <laughs> so, you know, there, there was a lot of consciousness raising in that group that stayed with many of us for a long time. And, and, you know, I became really fast friends with a group of women from Dallas that were lesbians. And, um, you know, we, we really navigated then a lot of other activism that came up um, together. I have a question, if you don't mind, like when you talk about being raised in an activist family, can you talk a little bit like, did y'all use that language? Did, did like, was the word activism um, like a spoken word in your family or were you, was your family just active? They were just engaged in things that they were trying to solve for issues that they saw needed to be elevated and things like that. Like, can you talk a little bit about like, because you, well, you yeah. think about activism, like so, it's always I'll just tell you right now, genetically, I'm a Democrat. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, my granddad was a labor organizer and he was one of the first labor organizers in Indiana working in um, uh, an auto plant and then a steel plant, oh, guys, a steel workers plant. Um, and so you know, we lived in Kansas and they lived in Indiana and every other year we would each visit each other. And there were many times when we went to visit um, my grandparents and my granddad was leading a strike. And so I, at a very, very early age, we were taught the values of you look out for the little guy, you look out for those that have less. If you have anything, you have something to share, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so those were the values that I was raised on. Um, and have stuck with me and then watched my parents demonstrate those in community actions. And I mean, they weren't marchers or protesters, but nobody really was in the fifties and sixties, you know, that was not really happening. Then that form of expression was not, but labor organizing was still intense in that period of time. So, yeah. Um, 
the National Organization for Women and the lesbian community was um, was pretty shocking. I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know about the vitriol. And I wonder what you think about that compared to now. Like, and, and I don't remember this. Uh, maybe I'm, and please correct me, please, please, please. Was it Gloria Steinem who didn't, did she not want uh, any anything to do with women, the lesbian lesbians in her movement either? Or was it simply- I don't remember, I don't remember now? that it was Steinem. It was, um, it was more um, Friedan and, um, Oh God, who else? That's a long time ago, girl. Yeah. Um, but but the and, and the only way I can say this, and I don't mean to be disparaging, is the housewives that came to the movement. You know, that's what I was, was it more a local, like the local community, it versus the big national? Like, was it more? No, it was the big national community that really harbored those first. Um, it was. Oh, okay. the, oh yeah. You can look that up and yeah. Google that, and there was a lot of yeah. it. Um, and locally, no, because locally I started that chapter um, on campus, and so there were a bunch of us, a whole bunch of us that were single moms that by 1972 had just gotten fed up with patriarchal relationships. You know, we were just like, yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, and so we were pooling our daycare and et cetera. So, so we were already predisposed you know, to being open and figuring things out. But as the chapter grew, we did attract more of those privileged white women. And um, let's see, what's a way to say this? Because this is being recorded, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not good at elderly, I have to find that filter. So it's my opinion as a social worker that what happened in the system is, is that those women who had been in many ways, I mean, we were not really talking about white privilege at that point, but it had been in many ways oppressed in ways that um, were harmful to them. You know, for instance, um, you know, when I divorced um, the kid's dad, my first husband in 1972, I had never seen a checkbook. I had never known what you know what we made or any of that what about you told me something about birth control will you please tell that just while we're in the middle because it fits well birth control then was um the pill had just come out and birth control then was only available if you could prove that you were going to be married in three months the pill was only available if you could prove so you had to have your engagement announced in the paper and printed and so wow. that that absolutely had to happen. I mean, that was this thing, you know, and so, yeah. Um, and you had to get a letter from your husband or your future well, husband? No. Yes, that it was okay for me to be on the pill, yes. If you mm -hmm. had a future husband or if your father, what about if your father said it was okay? Still no, it had to be. Well, I don't, my father wasn't involved in that at that time time I mean, no. i'm just wondering your, your mother couldn't have okayed it like they do now it uh, no. and certainly not no. okay no. okay so continue i'm sorry that just kind of fit in there and that's a great side story i i always thought it was just fascinating that that you would have to have an, an engagement announcement <laughs> well it's also so weird too because somehow by requiring that now it all of a sudden feels like it's a birth control pill announcement like <laughs> 
just just by its nature, it turns into that because it's like, why else are you publishing this in the paper? Right, right. Hey, guess I mean, what? <laughs> I'm just thinking about myself where I might not do the engagement announcement unless I needed the pill. <laughs> well, right, girl. Right. So, yeah, no, that was the case for me, but there was no getting around it. I mean, there was no, There's no I know. Oh, and we, God. you know, we were already having sex before we got married. And so, you know, it's just, that... it's just another patriarchal way of public shaming, basically. Well, I mean, like, that's what it, it's just, it's, uh, okay. Well, okay. well, no, no, there was a certain group of women that loved to have an engagement mm-hmm. picture and engagement party. Well, I know, I know. But so that was, that, those were sorority girls, and I was not one of those. And so, right, exactly. That's apologies my point. Like, if that's any what... of you, apologies if any of you are, but you know the what I'm talking no. about. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just saying, but you know what I'm saying. So that was a different class than I grew up in. I grew, I grew up in a blue yeah. collar family, no doubt. And um, yeah, whole, I wouldn't have had an engagement announcement. That's like it wouldn't have been normal. You would have if you wanted yeah. to have the pill. That's my point. That's my point. <laughs> everybody would have known because everybody would have known me, and they would have been like, "She's only doing that because she wants the pill." And then it would have been like, I would, I might as well have had like the letter P on my chest and be like, "I'm wearing the P of shame." Okay. Well, my announcement was about that. Was about that big, right? <laughs> yeah. to say. Was, it said Linda wants to get on the pill. <laughs> something like that. Something like that. It's to be married on set. You had to have a date. I mean, you had to have a date. You had to, you had to wow. fess up to a date. You couldn't just say you were engaged. It oh, had to be a three-month yeah. date. So, yeah. Three wow. months. Three oh, months. wow. I mean, that's just... So, so but, how far do you think we've come? I mean, yes, we've come further than that. But I feel like the ERA didn't pass. And I know there were a lot of activists who didn't drop the ball, but there are a lot of us who didn't know to pick it up. And I totally admit that when I was a kid, I was eighties, everything was peaches in a small town, Georgetown. So it's sort of why I, I asked about Linda's early activism, because I think that's the problem. Like a lot of us weren't, I wasn't taught, to, as a matter of fact, I was taught not to be an activist. I was taught to I was not raised in a democratic family. <laughs> but, but you, but you guys are, you guys are Southern raised, right? Oh yeah. We were both yes. raised in Georgetown, both of us. Right. We so were. that, so in the Midwest, although Kansas is, you know, really took in the, taking a bad turn in the Midwest, you know, they were Eisenhower Republicans and they were very much people should mind their own business, you know? And so, um, you know, that, that I think was pervasive, but it felt like an invasion of privacy for me because I would have never had any intention of putting an engagement announcement in the paper. Right, absolutely. So, but in terms of how far we've come, one of the things that's difficult for me as uh, someone that will be 72 this year and has been a feminist since that period of time is watching young women not have the history and the awareness to know that they could lose that. And in fact, it's being chipped away at, constantly mm-hmm. chipped away at, you know, and uh, Norma Corby didn't help it, um, you know, all of that stuff. Cause I was around when Waddington, you know, presented to the court and did all that. And, um, and then she, mm-hmm. you know, turned sideways, but they are constantly trying to do that. And I don't think that women realize it's not just about abortion. They really don't want you to control 
um, your own body in terms of your sexuality and you know all of those things because the male dominant theory is is that you know if you're married to me you're not screwing around and any kid that you have will belong to me i mean that's pretty much what it is and um you know so that's it, it, it's almost Handmaid's Tale in some yeah. ways. And I, I read that book when it first came out because I love Margie Atwood, but I have not been able to either watch the show or read the book again. Now, did you guys go to Southwestern up in Georgetown? Uh, no, uh, so, no I, I, we were townies. I went to North Texas up in Denton. In Denton. So, um, yes, I, I went to drug rehab. <laughs> there you go. We both learned a lot. <laughs> did, you get a certificate? did you get a certificate? I got it. doesn't count unless you got a certificate. I, I, I think I have a couple of certificates. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And a coin. I have a coin. Mostly like... well, so you have more than one coin. <laughs> no. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. So did that answer that question? I mean, I'm very concerned about that issue for young women today. I am a grandmother and I have a set of twins that are a boy and a girl that are going to be 13 in a few months. And, you know, just even thinking about anybody that I love having to be in that predicament because I have, you know, um, an experience with that that was very difficult. And so, you know, it's, I just hate for anybody to have to do that, but I see that going away. So, so how do what do how do we ignite this fire? I mean, especially for people like you know Steph and, and me who've never who were not activists until you know five seven years ago or something you know or less. It's I'm just there are a lot of us who really just came to the table when Trump was here or you know to pro Obama. So I'm just um, how how do we inspire? this next generation and help them understand what's at stake because Susie, we i wish i <laughs> i wish i wish that i knew um because that is something that i have felt like was one of the biggest failures of the women's movement in the 70s and the 80s was that we didn't have any transition plans and then you know there came a whole a transition plan in terms of passing down our history mm -hmm. but i feel the same way about the lbg TQ community because I can't tell you the number of young people that have no clue about what Stonewall was or no clue about what really right. ACT UP was or no clue about what the AIDS epidemic was. A lot was. of people don't even know that ACT UP existed. I know. I mean, that. it was such a huge deal. It was so important. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I, yeah. It's, it was a very big deal to me. I was living in Dallas when that was going on. I guess you were probably there too yeah at that time yeah yeah it was incredible. so 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 to me you know one of the things that's happened i think um is that you know we've the elders and the young people have become complacent about the importance of passing this information on um and, and in some ways um and i hate to say this out loud but in some ways the Trump administration has reminded people that they have to have their voice heard. And I think it is also beginning to remind women, let alone women of color, that they need to have their voice heard. Yes. And then they're, yeah. beginning, they're beginning to see, you know, um, that our voices heard can make some differences, you know, and, you know, we've seen the Women's March, 
uh, on Washington in 2017. We've seen several things like that that you know are encouraging to me. But at a local level, I don't know what I see. I don't know what's going on in the college campuses. But it it needs to dribble out of the college campuses into the lives of um, people between 20 and 40. And they take for granted, which also sometimes just makes me seriously angry, um, they take for granted um, these rights that, mm -hmm. you know, we, we won and worked really hard and sacrificed for, and I don't mean to sound like a martyr, but no, we certainly did. We, yeah, we yeah, got arrested and we stand we on the on your shoulders, this. you know, to be where yeah. we are. Uh, and that's, I guess, what in the 80s, we were so complacent because you guys did all of that, you know, and, yes. and we I were mean, like, oh, hey, everything's cool. We don't need you don't need an ERA. You got the 19th, right? Right, right. I, li I, I like to say that, like, as a, you know, being teenagers in the 80s and being, you know, impressionable and learning and you and I have talked, you know, Susie and I grew up together and went to school together and, you know, civics was not a required class, you know, and, you know, it, it, we had very minimal, like nobody was teaching us about any of this. As, as a matter of fact, I would say quite the opposite, you know, that we were really being distracted from learning about these types of things. And it wasn't until I came out of that system into a system of my own you know, trying to explore and learn and understand that I really was able to look at like things that had happened before me and look at it and be like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, why didn't I learn this? Like, why wasn't, you know, why wasn't this more important to us? And it wasn't more important to us because there were, I mean, the Texas education system did not want it to be. Well, <laughs> I I, that's true, but I think, I think that's true across much of the South for sure, but maybe yeah. even some other parts, because one of the things that people don't realize is that Texas sets educational standards for much of the country yes. because of the large number of resources educational resources that they dumbed down for the texas state board of school board but i was shocked to learn i mean my kids were in high school in the 80s and i was shocked to learn that um and their dad and i were shocked to learn that civics was not a required course because it was required for us mm -hmm. and so yeah. that's why when people say to me well how do you know so much about constitutional law or how do you know so much about congress or how do you know and i was like uh you learned it at school yeah and then we built on it right and right. so yeah. my, when my after my kids time you know to be in that that grade level i said and their dad and i said both because he was he was quite a feminist as well and i said um you are going to take government it's just it was only a half a semester i mean only a right. half a year and um, i said well, you're going to take that because yeah so I'm, you know we just had to take, I mean, we had to take a semester of Texas government. We had, that was required. A semester? Which I is not really were, relevant to a lot, but. I know, <laughs> like, but I, I mean, that, so. Texas government and history mm -hmm. every single year that I was in school. <laughs> no, we didn't actually. We had one semester in high school and we had, the, the other semester was, was American government. And then the rest of it was all just history classes that said, you know, that actually you can see how they've written women out of history. They continue to do that. And, yeah. and in fact, and Linda, maybe you know this, uh, I heard that, uh, they were not well i've read too that they that texas was not going to include hillary clinton in their history textbooks and that to me is so terrifying because for many reasons but one is that it's going to seem like donald trump just ascended like 
like he didn't run against anybody. He just became the great I am, you know? That's not how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to do? Are we just going to- What pretend? am I missing? What am I missing here? Oh. So, um, okay. So, you know, that's very true. And one of the things that we were really keen on packing our, um, our activism into the kids was making sure they had a lot of outside reading. Francis, stop it, you two, right now. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I was famous for in the neighborhood and among my kids' friends is that I had one of the very first copies of Our Bodies Ourselves. Do you remember that book? Oh, yeah. Do you know that book? Mm -hmm. okay. I do remember that book. So that book was startling for a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, and so I had to buy an extra copy because... <laughs> my kids were loaning it out all the time. Oh. And so I wanted to have a copy that was just ours, you know? And so they would take it home and I would say, you need to be sure that so-and-so's mom is going to be okay with it. Well, they're probably not going to know about it, mom. And I was like, okay, I'll be getting a knock on the door one of these days. <laughs> I don't know about it either. <laughs> <laughs> I, so. I turned my head because I was literally looking to see if I had a copy of it on my bookshelf. Over there. <laughs> I, have, I have the revised, I have the revised, and, uh, I have the revised and the original one, which is barely holding together, but um, yeah. So Your book collection that. is fabulous, I have to say. So I, so I had that, and I had some other things about, um, you know, some other feminist things that, that, you know, both our daughters and our son uh, read and were indoctrinated into, um, as well as some activism around civil rights. We were big on civil rights as well. And that, yeah. that unfortunately was still an issue. And so it still is an issue. No, it's, it's, it's all done. We had a, a black president. Come on. <laughs> what I wouldn't give if somebody ever could have a third term. <laughs> right. I right. miss the man. I miss That's him. I miss him. Well, I would, I, I too. I would have I voted for up, Michelle. I tear up when he comes on and talks in complete yes. sentences. I, no. I, I, I have a, a t-shirt that says, I just want to pet my dog and pretend Obama's still president. <laughs> <laughs> Best escapism ever. I do. I put it on like when I'm sad. I'm like, I'm just going to put it on. <laughs> no. It's like a comfy blanket. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, actually, we are, we are out of time now. And okay. <laughs> I want, but we are, thank you so much for coming. I love talking to you and I'm glad everybody else is going to get to hear you talk and tell your stories. And I, I'm really, we want to go ahead and plan to have you back uh, as soon as possible. Do we it. Have, yeah. I think, I think we would love to do that. If you're interested in coming back and talking with us, we'd love to have you. Sure. Thank sure. you Be so much. You've been listening to Queer Invasion Radio. We're here, we're queer, and we need your support. So find us on Patreon or follow us on social media at QI Radio USA and listen to us wherever you hear podcasts. And don't forget to share our stuff and tell all your friends. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>